Gina Della from Pella. Choose five years no interest and five months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Now, I don't mean to sound like a broken record on this, but to me politics has always been what i would call the art of the possible and and to me the most effective politicians are the ones who recognize that th- there's a limit as to what you can get done and i understand that some people on both the left and the right are, are incredibly ideological and if, if it's not absolutely perfect i i'm not going to support it and i'm not going to vote for it and that's never made any sense to me because to me you would get into politics to want to get things done and that means you have to understand the reality and i've always believed that gee if, if you can i don't know get a bill and 70 percent of it is is good and 30% of it you don't like but you still really like that 70% it's foolish to just say I'm not going to take the 70% because it doesn't have the stuff I like the same thing is true when it comes to just passing rules and passing edicts you, you have to have an understanding of reality I understand in our COVID world the reality is that we would like to see people get vaccinated. And all the experts say the way out of the pandemic is for people to get vaccinated. And that's all well and good. And as somebody who is vaccinated, I, I have no problem with, with that. I mean, I, I encourage people in my own life to, to get vaccinated. And I tell my story about how I got vaccinated as soon as I could and I had no no side effects at all. And yeah, I might die five years from now, but I could get hit by a bus five years from now. So, but it, it's fine. And I feel like I'm ready to go and, and rejoin, you know, the world because I I am in fact vaccinated. It's one of the reasons sometimes I push back on some of these other across the board restrictions where they treat people who are unvaccinated the same way they treat people who are vaccinated. But again, I I appreciate that it's a goal to want to get people vaccinated. My problem is when you have, for example, the president of the United States who comes out and says to nursing homes, for example, you know, all, all your employees have to be vaccinated by um, October 29th or October 31st, November 1st or whatever, or we're cutting off federal funding, which essentially closes down, you know, nursing homes. If they don't get the federal money for the Medicare or Medicaid patients, stuff like that, they, they can't make it. That, that's just reality. And these nursing homes in, you know, across the country, there, there's 40% of the employees approximately who aren't vaccinated. And my question is, yeah, it's fine for the president to say this, but what's going to happen when November 1st rolls around and you've still got 25% of the employees who aren't vaccinated, who are, are if you, and if you do in fact go fire them, all right, what, what are, what in fact are you going to do? Who's, who's going to cook the meals? Who, you know, and I was talking to somebody yesterday who actually works in one of those facilities and the, they, they were saying that uh, there were a couple of, of employers in the immediate area of the nursing home where this person I know works who um, pay 
higher for again the the more entry level jobs you know you can, you can go work at a home depot you can go you know um you know work in if you're doing cleaning you can clean the nursing home but or you can clean somewhere else and in many cases you can make more and what they were saying is you know the the, the folks who have made the decision not to get vaccinated they're not going to go get vaccinated because gee we might lose our job because candidly the nursing home needs them more than they need the job I was talking to somebody else last night and we were talking about nurses. Many of the major health care providers and systems in Wisconsin have set a drop-dead date. They've said, look, all right, our health care workers need to be need to be vaccinated by, again, October 15th, October 29th, November 1st, whatever this is. And my point has been, all right, explain to me what happens when that date rolls around and you've got 10 to 15 percent, say, of your nurses who aren't vaccinated what what is what is going to happen? And there's an interesting story in the journal Sentinel today. The headline is facing widespread burnout. Wisconsin hospitals are scrambling to hire nurses as covid surges again. And this story is talking about how there was a nursing shortage before covid and how covid is burning out a lot of the, the nurses and how you know a lot of nurses are just just leaving the, the profession. Anyhow, I was talking to somebody yesterday who works again for one of the large local health providers. And they were telling me that a number of the nurses that this person works with, that they are, for whatever reasons, they've made the decision not to get vaccinated. And we're talking about, my friend was estimating, well, maybe about at the place where they work, maybe about 15 to 20 percent of the professional nursing staff isn't vaccinated. All right. Now, the good news is about 80 percent is, but 15 to 20 percent isn't. And I said, well, what's going to happen? And my friend said, in in most cases of the people that, that they know, some people say, well, where, where are they going to go work? Well, the, the big thing was my friend was telling me many of the work nurses um, who aren't vaccinated are are retirement eligible. You know, and they don't they don't have to go. They don't have to retire. And, you know, maybe under different circumstances would have been inclined to work a couple more years. But my friend was telling me, look, here, here's what's happening. They're, they're already making it clear. You know, they're going to work until whatever the date is, October 15th, November 1st or whatever. And they're in the retiring. So it's not even like, gee, you know, where where are we going to go to continue nursing? It's like we're we're just we're just flat out retiring, and you, you, there's a scramble to find nurses now. Now again, I don't argue with the idea of we want to try to encourage people, for example, in the healthcare field to get vaccinated. I get the idea, but there is this real world that we live in, and I, I seriously there. There is a, you know, I don't know if it's light at the end of the tunnel or if it's a train coming the other way, but by setting these different drop dead dates, you know, everybody has to be vaccinated. They're going to be fired. I I think some of these employers are in for real, real rude awakenings as to what's going to happen on October 15th or October 29th or November 1st when all of a sudden you have employees leaving and many of those employees might just be employees who are retiring saying, okay, that's fine. We're not getting vaccinated. We're leaving. See you later figure out next you know who's going to do the triage it's it's why sometimes the, these drop dead mandates I, I think again might end up being counterproductive and might have these unintended consequences of making it even more difficult for you know hospitals you know nursing homes whatever to maintain a quality of care just saying okay when we come back speaking of drop dead dates 
Next Tuesday is August 31st, which is the deadline to get out of Afghanistan. What do we do with that, especially in light of the fact that yesterday over 200 people lost their lives to a suicide bomber? We discuss in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Always love that get back music. Glenn Fry, Smuggler's Blues, takes me back to another life when we used to chase drug dealers in the U.S. Attorney's Office. All right. We were talking about the deadlines to get vaccinated. Now let's talk about the Tuesday deadline, August um, August 31st, which is Tuesday, which is, what, four days from now. That is the, the date that President Biden said is we're, that we're bugging out of, of Afghanistan. President Biden has also said that, you know, anybody who we have made a commitment to to get out, we're going to get out. But that's not going to happen by August 31st. Everybody knows the story. Uh, breaking news yesterday, there were two bombings outside the airport in, in Kabul. Um, they originally, they thought there were two suicide bombers. As it now turns out, there was only one suicide bomber. There was a uh, apparently the first bomb that went off was set by ISIS, but it wasn't suicide bombing. The second bomber was, in fact, somebody who had explosives, you know, strapped to himself and killed himself and a bunch of people, which which demonstrates the, the, the weakness that we, we always have when you deal with terrorism. You can set up all these different barricades and stuff, but when you have when you have somebody who decides that they're gonna strap a bunch of bombs to themselves and blow themselves up with the idea of trying to get in the biggest crowd they can so they can kill as many people. There, there's going to be limits as to how you, you stop that, that sort of that sort of craziness and that sort of hatred and that sort of, you know, just nutsy be- behavior. And so you're, you're always going to be limited to that. In any event, the numbers continue to rise. The uh, story now is that they think that there's over 200 people who lost their lives in these two bombings, including um, 13 Americans making this, I think you've got to go back 10 years in Afghanistan to have a single day where more Americans died. So a, a complete and total debacle. Meanwhile, the airport has now been closed down, is my understanding. Flights are continuing. So for people who were inside the airport, they, they're still being taken out. But people who are outside the airport trying to get in, that's that's apparently not happening. The New York Times of all places has an estimate. They say that at least 250,000 Afghans who may be eligible for expedited American visas remain in Afghanistan. Far too many for American forces to rescue before the deadline to leave um, next week. So, I mean, I, I don't know that you would have been able to meet that deadline anyhow, but the suicide bombing and the other explosion, which has now pretty much shut things down, right now there's nobody getting in. So if, if you're not in the airport, um, you're probably not going to get evacuated in the next couple of days, despite the promises that the president made is that we're, we're going to get people out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this demonstrates the problem with with drop-dead dates. We're, we're bugging out by August 31st. We're bugging out by September 30th or whatever because it gives you no flexibility to deal with changing conditions. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given the reality that we're not going to be able to get out everybody that we made a commitment to get out um, by next Tuesday, 
Should we extend the deadline? Can we allow this to be dictated by the Taliban or, in many cases, then our hand forced and effectively held hostage by groups like ISIS that throw off our plans by doing a suicide bombing? All right, can, can we realistically bug out by August 31st, or should the president reconsider? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I look, as I've been saying for the last week and a half, there's been a lot of mistakes made in Afghanistan, starting with the first President Bush, through Bill Clinton, through the second President Bush, through Barack Obama, through Donald Trump, and now kind of the cherry on the top of this ugly cake ends up being, you know, Joe Biden and what's going on over the last several months. But I will tell you something, in my opinion, this foolish adherence to we're having everybody out by August 31st, regardless of what the conditions on the ground prove, uh, is is just, it's crazy. Now, I understand politically he, he wants to have everybody out by September 11th. That, that's, the, that's kind of the idea. It's, it's a political, in my opinion, a political point of view rather than a, a practical point of view. And I, I think, you know, you, you can fault Biden a lot for not systematically getting more people out over the course of the last five or six months. But admittedly, his intelligence was bad. They didn't realize that the Afghan government was going to collapse as much as it did. But but that's all the more reason then to say, look, we're, we're not going to adhere to these deadlines that are, are essentially that are that are arbitrary. We're going to get our people out and we're going to stay until we need to until we get our people out. And the, the, the ultimate irony of this is that you now have a, a it's essentially it's the terrorists forget even the Taliban it is now the terrorists who are dictating to us what we are going to be able to do with the people that we've made a commitment to get out because as I said at least my understanding is right now and things are fluid the, there's nobody even coming into the airport so all these people who had not been able to get into the airport well now they're they're just stuck meanwhile the clock keeps keeps tick tick ticking away so even if the Biden plan would have been okay we're going to systematically continue to evacuate people over the next four days the, the terrorists have now screwed that up so the Biden plan is we're just going to continue to go ahead with this arbitrary date that we've set no i'm sorry see that's that's the the problem to me the beef here is not should we be in or out of afghanistan all right that that ship has sailed i I get it but it's this slavish adherence to the calendar without taking into account changing circumstances on on the ground that makes absolutely no sense at all And, and more than that ends up being at least in my opinion a complete complete and total betrayal of the commitment we've made. Um, you know, and now here's a text that say, Jeff, no, staying, t- staying too long is too dangerous. Between the Taliban and ISIS-K surrounding the airport, they might try to shoot down a plane, which is entirely possible. So now think about that, though. And I appreciate the point the texter is making. The attitude now is, all right, we're... We're, we're so afraid of the Taliban and the, the, the splinter terrorist groups that we are going to let them force us to betray people that we have been working with for, you know, 20 years that we have made commitments to because we're, we're going to cower in fear that, oh, gee, gee, the, the Taliban might do this or might do that. I mean, how, how weak 
and ineffectual does the United States look on the world stage? But but it's not see it's not just appearances to me. It's this commitment that the United States made to first of all U.S. citizens, and then secondly the people that have been working with us for all these years. Jeff, unfortunately, this is Biden's incompetence. Um, ISIS is telling our president when we can get out of Afghanistan unbelievable um now we have dead u.s marines it is unforgivable well look we're always vulnerable to these sort of suicide bombings and things of the like but you you do wonder if 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 this could have was there a worse way that this could have been handled and i'm not sure what that would be here's a text jeff i personally know a woman whose son is over there and if president biden wants to come to her house and explain why he was not returned safely i don't think he's going to be in a position to be able to do that yeah i this is my beef. Again, it's not should we get out of Afghanistan, but it's this arbitrary date that we stick to and adhere to because we're afraid we might upset some terrorists. And so as a result, we betray people that we have made commitments to. That, that's it. You just you analyze it. Look, and here's the easy thing for Biden to say. Biden to say, look, here's the bottom line. You know, we we're getting our people out. And, you know, we're, we were working with this date on of, of um, August 31st, but the conditions on the ground changed. That's now not become realistic. We are still committed to getting out as soon as we possibly can. But we're not setting an arbitrary date on this. We are leaving when the people that we have made a commitment to leave with are prepared to go and are allowed to get through, period. And by the way, we're the United States of America, and we're not going to have that dictated to us by, you know, a terrorist group because they send in a suicide bomber or the Taliban, which, you know, may or may not be a legitimate group itself. But we're not going to let that be dictated. But, of course, you need a president that's willing to stand up and have some backbone. And I don't know that that's what we have now. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I made reference to one of my other lives uh, a number uh, earlier on in the program when I was when I started in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the 1980s, um, and I, I quickly became a, a drug prosecutor. That was one of the things I ended up uh, ended up doing. And and one of the problems we had it's been interesting to see the the war on drugs how it, it's evolved and drugs of choice over the years. But back. Back in the early 1980s, um, and, and think about like it was kind of the Miami Vice era, and that was true here in, in Wisconsin as well. And powder cocaine was the big thing, and cocaine would come in from South America and it would come through South Florida largely, and then it, it would end up here in Milwaukee. One of one of the things, and I speak from firsthand experience as a prosecutor, one of the things we wrestled with here in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, was the the Cuban connection. Because if you will remember, thank you, Jimmy Carter, you had the Marialito boat lift where Fidel Castro essentially cleaned out his jails and took all sorts of people and put them on boats and sent them to the United States. And Jimmy Carter said, we're going to take everybody in. And there was little or no vetting. And what ended up happening is that many of the, these people, or at least a lot of people who came into South Florida, ended up getting relocated to Fort McCoy in, you know, central Wisconsin. And so what happened is you have all these folks who come in and, you know, they're, they're and I'm not 
by any stretch of the imagination, trying to say that everybody that came over and ended up at Fort McCoy was, was a criminal. Not implying that at all, but some were. And, and what happened is, so we had people that came to Wisconsin through the Mary Lido boat lift. They're, they're here in Wisconsin. They're looking for ways to make money. They have relatives who have come over in South Florida. And it's kind of like the movie Scarface. Now, Scarface was sort of extreme about this. But, yeah, they, they get involved in the drug trade in South Florida. They've got relatives that are up here in Wisconsin. And it was a natural connection. And I cannot tell you how many times we engaged in prosecutions of drug conspiracies. And that was one of the underlying thing you know why why did why did these people end up coming why you know what's the connection to wisconsin well it, it's because you know people came in through the marilito boat lift and got resettled and some people were brought to fort mccoy and again i don't mean to suggest that any or even a significant majority of the people who came in ended up being drug dealers but i will tell you there was a reality we saw that connection over and over again at the same time you know when we have people who are coming into this country and who are allowed to come into this country by the government. Thank you, Jimmy Carter. You, you know, you, they, they have to go somewhere. You, you can't put everybody in South Florida. You can't put everybody in Laredo, Texas. You can't put everybody in San Diego, California. You have to bring people in. And we are now seeing that start to play out with what is going on in Afghanistan. And I want to be real consistent here. I'm the guy in the last segment of the program who said we the United States has made a commitment to the people that worked with us in Afghanistan that we are going to get them out. And I believe that we need to honor that commitment. I mean, that's that's a representation that was made. And I need I don't believe we could just abandon people. And, you know, darn well what's going to happen if we leave tens of thousands of people who worked with us behind, those people are going to be killed by the the Taliban. You just know what is going to end up happening. So we have to do everything we can to get people out. But once we do that, they've, they've got to go somewhere. And one of the places where you're going to be seeing people come in through is, once again, Fort McCoy. Now, th- th- this is an issue. I know um, Senator Ron Johnson was up there two days ago, and we were actually scheduled to talk to Senator Johnson today, but he had to cancel it, a conflict. And-, and I know a number of representatives, particularly Republican representatives, have been out at Fort McCoy, and they are concerned about – you know, what? what is the vetting that is going on with the people that we're bringing in from Afghanistan? And, and what's the medical situation? And the Biden administration says, well, okay, first of all, we're, we're, we're checking everybody for COVID and things like that. And, you know, if, if somebody tests positive, then they're being confined in a different area. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're bringing people to Wisconsin to resettle them, just like we're bringing people from all across the, that people are being resettled all across the, the country. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, here, here, I guess here's how I look at this. You cannot have it both ways. You cannot say, we've got to get you know, a large number of people out there. It is out of Afghanistan. It is a moral imperative. And yet say, not in my backyard. I, I, I don't want them here. It, it's fair to say, okay, we, we want to vet people and we, we want to check to make sure that this isn't just a, a subterfuge like Mary, the Mary Little boat lift was when you know, Fidel Castro took a bunch of criminals and sent them to the United States and chuckled the whole way. Okay, well, now it, it's the same sort of thing. I understand that there has to be some sort of process, but at the same time, if we acknowledge that we've got this commitment, don't we have to be willing to accept 
in this case, perhaps thousands of people coming into um, this state from Afghanistan because they're going into other states as well. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's legitimate to raise a question about, okay, are, are people being vetted properly to make sure that we're not having you know, more terrorists that are rolling in? That is a legitimate point. But at the same time, don't we have to recognize that you know we have we have a commitment to the people to get them out of Afghanistan, and if that means you're going to have several thousand people relocated to Wisconsin, so be it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I mean, I just don't think you can have it both ways. I don't think you can say, "All right, we've got to get everybody out, and we need to stay until we get everybody out," but we don't want them here. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I just don't think you can have it both both ways. You can, like I believe, I, I think you can make a legitimate argument that we have a moral obligation to get our allies out of Afghanistan, and we need to stay until we have effectively um, accomplished that. And if that means that we have to explain to the Taliban that we still are the the remaining the real remaining superpower in this world and not be dictated have our policies dictated to us by you know terrorists well I, I think that we have to do that but the flip side is once we evacuate people from Afghanistan our allies we they have to go somewhere and that in, included in that somewhere is is Wisconsin and I think it again it's fair to say right we want to make sure that the people that we are bringing out are in fact the, the right people and, and that that's okay but once I mean especially right now the folks that we're bringing out of Afghanistan are people that have already I think been vet they're the ones that I mean have what they call the special immigrant visas who, who've already been approved for this and, and yes I think that the bigger concern right now is getting them out and getting them somewhere in the United States. And candidly, we can sort some of that out later. So they're going to bring a few thousand, I think, to, again, Fort McCoy, and they're going to stay at Fort McCoy until a resettlement agency can come in and figure out, you know, where, where they're ultimately going to be located. And maybe it's going to be in Wisconsin or maybe it's somewhere else. But that that should be the priority, getting people out and then getting them resettled as opposed to worrying about, okay, well, is it possible that somebody that is coming in, you know, might be a criminal or might be undeserving? And I will tell you this, and maybe I'll eat these words years from now, but I, I have no doubt that if we're able to get... I don't know, 80, 100,000 people out of Afghanistan. Well, it might turn out that a small percentage of those people then go on to, again, be criminals or, or whatever here in the United States. But, but you, you've got to figure out, then you, then you got to deal with that when that in fact happens. The primary thing right now is we've got to get people out and we've got to get them somewhere once we get them out. 855-616-1620. Here's a text and I, and I agree with it. Jeff, these people are our allies. Our presence in their homeland put them at risk. If they are safe people and want to live and work here, I say welcome to uh, America. Um, yes. Well, Jeff. What about the commitment that politicians made to keep the American people safe here at home? Well, I look, I, I remember 9-11, okay? I, I, I remember that. And I think you can make a strong argument that we were very, very lax 
when it came to uh, controlling our borders and and deciding who was going to get admitted um, 20 years ago. And then, you know, once they came into the country, what we did, checking one to, what with people to make sure that their, their visas had not expired or things like that. All right, we, we, we need to do better than we did 20 years ago. But if you're going to get people out of Afghanistan, let's be honest, if people have already qualified for these special immigration visas and have worked to, to help us, they, they, they don't pose an overall risk. Now, is it possible that some might come over as double agents? Well, okay, yes, I, I guess there is that possibility. And, and that's why maybe once people get over here, before the resettlement agencies bring them into communities, maybe there can be a little bit more vetting and things like that. But the, the bottom line is that right, we, we have a moral commitment to these people. Um, let's see, uh, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talked and, talk and text line. Jeff, I am shocked, shocked that politicians are being hypocritical. Jeff, I welcome the Afghans to our country and our state. They helped us, and I think it is only right for us to help them. Again, that's that's. What I have is feel, and candidly, I'm a lot more comfortable. I'm a lot more comfortable about what we're doing now than, say, what happened again in the late '70s with Jimmy Carter, when we just simply allowed, you know, Fidel Castro to play us and 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 clean out his his jails and and send us, you know, criminals and send us people who had mental conditions and things like that, and then just dump them on us. In this case, at, at least we're going through a preliminary vetting process and the people that are getting out are people that worked with us and helped us out and we have a commitment to so i don't think this needs to be another you know jimmy carter fiasco uh, will is it entirely likely that somebody that comes over somewhere might engage in criminal activity yeah but but that doesn't change the overall mission and i i think rather than politicizing this aspect of it we would be better to simply embrace this and then at the same time work on concentrating on security to make sure that the people who have come over here before they go into our communities really are deserving of this status but they got to go somewhere that's just the reality back with more in just a minute so you think you want to be a police officer. A uh, third time in 10 days, Milwaukee police have um, had to shoot a, a, an individual who fired at them. If you haven't heard the story, about 6.50 p.m. yesterday, police see a man driving recklessly near 39th Street and West North Avenue. They, they try to pull him over. And as frequently happens nowadays, people don't pull over. So what happens is the guy takes off, drivers flee, the, the driver flees, the officers begin a pursuit. The pursuit goes on for about a mile when the driver then crashes uh, the car in the 2800 block of North 30, 41st Street. But then as often happens as well, what happens is instead of just getting out of the car and surrendering, the driver starts to run. And by the way... He is carrying, wait for it, a a gun. A foot pursuit ensues. The suspect was armed with a handgun. The police say, drop the gun, drop the gun, drop the gun. He refuses to drop the gun. And then two officers discharge their firearms, and they end up shooting and killing the guy. Now, we don't have many more details, but I, I can tell you predictably where this goes. We will have some people in the community who will come out and denounce the, the police, oh, this was another situation. They, they shouldn't have tried to pull the guy over. 
or they you know that they shouldn't have chased him or then when he started running armed with a gun they, they should have just let him go and, and of course that that's just not how the world the real world works i mean this is the same sort of thing that happened last week remember you had the situation involving the the police officer who is still fighting for his life in greenfield that's the same sort of thing greenfield officer early since last saturday night sunday morning performing a traffic stop pulls the car over calls for backup Backup comes, and at that point in time, the the vehicle driven by this 30-some-year-old guy takes off, starts to flee. Pursuit ends, crash on 27th and Beecher. As an officer approaches the vehicle to take the suspect into custody, the guy fires a weapon from inside the vehicle at both officers, continues shooting, and then ultimately what happens is, you know, in an exchange of gunfire, he's shot, but one of the Greenfield police officers is shot as well. And of course, again, some of the usual suspects are out there saying, well, we... we we can't believe that the guy had a gun and that he, he shot. There, there must be something more to this. No, I mean, w- what's going on is, unfortunately, there are people in this community who have no regard for anyone else, who think nothing of fleeing police at high rates of speed, could care less if they hit and kill other people who are driving around. Now, I don't know about the guy last night, but we know that the guy in Greenfield was a felon who wasn't illegal, wasn't legally allowed to, to possess firearms, and yet he, he's driving around with a loaded gun. And then, of course, he's willing to use that gun to get into a shootout with police. I, I don't know what we can do to stop to deal with that criminal element that is out there that is willing to shoot it out with police on the street. But for all the people who are part of the defund the police crowd and stuff like that, you just kind of want to, figuratively speaking, slap them around the the head and shoulders and say, don't you understand what's going on here? In this community, we have a subset of people who are incredibly dangerous, who have no regard for anything, who have the impulse control of fruit flies, and who are willing to use deadly force um, when whenever they feel it is appropriate. And I will tell you, shooting it out with the police is one of those classic sort of examples of it. So, you know, you, you, you wish people didn't run from the cops. You wish people didn't drive around after their felons, you know, armed to the teeth. You wish people didn't shoot it out with the police. But this is happening more and more and more. Three police shootings of people in the last 10 days. And for anybody who might say, well, this shows a problem with police, nuts to that. It shows clearly how dangerous the streets are around here, how many people are out there who should not be on the streets in the first place, and how maybe if we intervened earlier and started sending people to prison um, I don't know, after their second or third felony conviction, instead of letting them still drive around, well, well, maybe, just maybe, the world would be safer. So three people shot by police in the last 10 days. Seems to me, in all cases, it was people who were armed and people who shot at police officers. It also underscores the fact that whenever you see in the newspaper or here on TV, it was a routine traffic stop. No traffic stops are ever routine because you, know, you just never know who you're pulling over. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, the Supreme Court 
last night got involved in something that I thought they should have gotten involved with a long time ago. The eviction moratorium has now been ruled illegal by the United States Supreme Court. All right, now let, let's review the bidding here for a, a minute. When when the pandemic first hit, so we're talking about March of last year, 2020, uh, again, the, the world, as we all know it, kind of came to a halt. You had businesses that closed. You had um, curfews that were put into place. You had, like, shelter at home. You had lots of businesses that, that were not allowed to stay open. There were all these different rules that were in place. You had a large number of people who lost their job with little or no notice, and in many cases and through no fault of their own, just because of what had happened in the world. So we took a lot, we being the government, uh, the America took a lot of, I think pretty much unprecedented things. You, you had the the payments that were made to to people um, in order to like keep keep them afloat. You had all these different rules that were put into place. One of the things that happened early on was the imposition of a moratorium on evictions of renters. So people that, that rented, and the concern was, look, we're at the height of this pandemic. You, you've got COVID that's, that's flourishing. We don't have a vaccine. We don't know when we're going to get a vaccine. You have all these people that have lost their jobs, and, and they, they might not have the ability to, to pay. So we can't just have them thrown out on the streets having nowhere to go, having no money, and perhaps making them more susceptible to picking up the virus. So initially what happened is that Congress passed an eviction freeze that was going to run to or through July of last year, about about a year ago. Now, that was always very controversial because, as we've talked about on this program before, who, who owns who owns buildings? Who, I mean, who owns rental apartments, for example? And, and yes, I understand there's some large corporations that might own property, but a lot of, a lot of landlords are, are individual people who have some, some money to invest. And they can invest in the stock market or they can buy bonds or they can buy gold, but they've, they've chosen to invest in real estate and, and in housing, for example. So it's, it's the, maybe it's your next door neighbor that owns a four family or something. Right. And, and those, those people depend on the rental income to make their mortgage payments. And they depend on that rental income to, you know, generate the money that's going to pay the property taxes and the utility bills and all that. And, and by the way, if, if the roof starts to leak or the toilet doesn't work in the rental property, well, you know, that, that's got to be fixed, right? And again, the landlord has to pay that. But we had Congress that stepped in and said, all right, because of this pandemic, landlords, we are not going to allow you to evict people. All right. Now, the people can continue to the the amount of money they owe you is going to continue to increase, but we're not going to let people evict you. All right. So that that lasted until July of last year, at which point in time, then President Trump comes in and does what I believe was illegal. In fact, I think the Supreme Court would probably say it's illegal. And the CDC. All right. Under President Trump issues an order saying um, there, there's some obscure public health statute that, that goes back to the 1940s. And they say, we're going to use this statute. And even though the congressional 
ban on evictions has expired. We're just going to wave our magic wand and the federal government is just going to say, no, you can't evict people. Meanwhile, if you're a landlord, you're still out of luck. I mean, your your bills are still coming in. The utility bills are coming in. You've got tenants that are still living there, but now they're not paying. So Trump started it through the CDC. Well, then Biden comes in and Biden extends it and extends it. Now, meanwhile, there's a lot of courts that have been hearing this, and the courts are saying this is an illegal, it's an illegal taking. You can't tell a private business that is providing a service, in this case, the apartment, you you can't tell the government just can't come in and, and wave a magic wand by executive order and say you, you can't collect money that's owed to you. I mean, the, the equivalent of this, and it's not a perfect analogy, but it's close, would be if, if you, you go to work every day, and the government all of a sudden said to your employer, hey, you don't have to pay Jeff. And by the way, we're also going to say as a matter of law, Jeff still has to keep working there. I mean, you'd be upset about that. So you've got all these landlords who are, you know, they're now owed extreme amounts of money. And in some cases, you've got tenants who are a year plus behind in rent. And if you haven't paid your rent in a year, let's say it's $1,000 a month. Well, if the justification has been, gee, I couldn't come up with $1,000 a month, now that you owe $12,000 plus the clock ticking, you're never going to pay that. I mean, the, the landlords are going to get stuck. That That's just the bottom line of this. So anyhow, Biden, in the face of Various court decisions that said this was illegal continue to extend the eviction moratorium. Now, the last time it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, follow me on this, the judges said at least the, the opinion that came out was, look, we think this is illegal, but it's supposed to expire at the end of July. I think that's when it was. So we're not going to toss it out because it's only got a couple more weeks to run. Well, then Biden, what does he do? He turns around and he extends it an extra 60 or 90 days. The case goes back to the Supreme Court. And yesterday, by a six to three vote, the Supreme Court says, nope, you know, if Congress were to pass a law saying that the eviction moratorium would continue, that would be one thing. But the federal government, the CDC, the president just can't wave his magic wand and tell landlords that they cannot collect money that is owed to them or alternatively, if the people don't pay, evict them. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is just long overdue. I, I'm I'm sorry, and I, I appreciate that there's people who've gone through legitimate financial hardships during the, over the course of the last year and a half. At the same time, we, we've had a number of government programs, a number of stimulus programs that have been sent out, and candidly, we are in a situation right now where pretty much anybody who wants a job can find a job. On top of that, this program applies you you can qualify for you were able to qualify for not having to pay your rent the limitation if you were a married couple you could make up to $198,000 and still qualify for this program if you certify that gee i've been adversely affected by the, by the covid vi- by by the covid by the pandemic so can you imagine you know somebody's making 200 grand a year which my guess is probably a lot more than a lot of landlords make could get out of having to pay the rent our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line however well intentioned this was at the beginning all right it, it you, you, it's gone on for over a year, and it's well past time for it to end. And now 
you know, the people who have not paid their rent and not made arrangements to at least pay some of the rent, now they're, they're subject to, to eviction. And unfortunately, you don't want to see anybody thrown out on the street, but I think there's a lot of people who game the system, and I think landlords have a right to say we're providing a service and we deserve to be paid for this service. And if you're not going to pay us, we're going to find somebody else who will. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What the Supreme Court did last night, in my opinion, is long overdue. And I think it's going to be welcome news to a lot of a lot of landlords out of there, a lot of people who've made investments in their communities, and it's chose to, instead of buying a mutual fund, they, they've chosen to buy a four-family, or they've chosen to buy this duplex. They need that dough to make their payments. It's not fair to expect them to carry people for over a year. 855-616-1620. What do you think? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a text that I could not disagree with more. Because, uh, of course, we're talking about the fact that the government has stopped landlords from being able to collect rent for the better part of, of the year. And here's the texter. Well, Jeff, that's the risk an investor takes when they choose to invest in real estate. There are no guarantees with other investment vehicles like stocks. Um, too bad for the landlords. Now, see, that, that could not be of a, of a more that could not be a more dumb way to look at it. Look, when when you're every investment has risks. Sure, you you can you can buy you can buy stock and the stock can go up and down. Right, that's the risk you take. You can buy a rental property and there are some natural risks. That the value of the building could go down, the neighborhood can go to hell and so the property that you pay $250,000 for can can when you go to sell it can only be worth $150,000. That's a risk you take. You can um I don't know, buy the place and all right, it turns out the plumbing is a lot worse than you thought. Okay, that's a risk you take. But but this this isn't a normal risk. This is the federal government coming in and saying you cannot collect your rent. All right, that that's not a risk that is typically associated with real estate. That is the government telling you, you know, you're 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 not going to be able to get your money that you are owed. That is not a legitimate risk. And if it is, well then who in the world is going to invest in real estate? See, that's the other effect. If we're going to now say that the government anytime it chooses can tell you that, you know, you're not going to be allowed to get paid for what you provide, that's a pretty scary thing. And again, let's let's personalize this. If the government said to you, "Hey, your employer no longer has to pay you, but effectively, you know, you you still have to go to work," which is sort of what this is, well, all right, you're not going to be happy about it. 855-616-1620. Dennis on the west side. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Jeff, I've got two questions I'd like your reaction to. Uh, it's my understanding that Congress appropriated millions, maybe even billions of dollars in rent assistance, but very little of this has been dispersed. Is this the fault of the tenants for not applying, or is it the fault of the governmental units, the states and localities, for not dispersing the money. And the uh, second question is um, pertains to evictions. My understanding is that this eviction uh, stop only applies to non-payments of rent. Uh, a tenant can still be evicted for other reasons, such as destruction of yes. property or 
other yeah. things. Yes, and thanks. Okay, Dennis, let's, yes, you, you're exactly correct. There, there have been, right, over over the last year, if you, um, right, you just, you're, Right. It applies to non-payment of rent. If, if you've got a tenant that's destroyed the property, if you've got a tenant that's running a drug house out of the property, you, you could still do the, the evictions. But we're talking about millions of units that have been, um, again, people have chosen not to pay. Now, the other question is, you know, where's the fault? Is it the renters? Is it the failure to distribute the rental assistance? I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know. I don't know how many of these people, of the people who are in this situation, were even going to qualify for rental assistance. But I will say that the same thing that I, I've said before when we've dealt with um, other moratoriums on, on lack of payments, and we deal this at, with this every year in Wisconsin with the utility shutoff, we have a lot of people who just kind of game the system because they know that their utilities can't get shut off between November and April 15th, but yet if you don't pay your cell phone bill, you don't pay your cable TV bill, those services will, will be dis- continued. I, I think, you know, in many cases, the last thing a landlord wants to do is evict somebody. I mean, you you want to be paid, right? I mean, that that's the whole idea. You want to be paid. And my guess is when you see these evictions, in the vast majority of cases, it's going to be tenants who made no effort at all to try to work with the landlords to pay partial rent and things like that. And, and so that's why you're going to see people who are just so incredibly behind. Again, my example was if you've got an apartment that's a thousand bucks a month, you haven't paid rent because presumably you've had trouble coming up with a thousand dollars. Now you owe twelve grand. That, that landlord's going to be out there. The landlord's never ever going to be able to you know get the the money. Let's talk to Brian in Kenosha. Hi, Brian. Hey, how you doing? Thanks Good. for taking my call. Sure. So, um, like I told you, screener. So I'm a renter. I live in Kenosha. And uh, I've talked with my landlord many times, I, even on the same situation. And I've asked him, you know, did he have anyone in this particular situation? He said no. But what I find absolutely absurd is that, like, to your point, <clears throat> landlords are providing a service yeah. just like many other people in this in Wisconsin. <clears throat> sure. And now they're out. We'll say that, like your example of the twelve grand. They will never be able to recoup that. Yep. So now, what happens with that? Now, is is there going to be a? I'm not going to say a tax or something like that, but is there is there something that's going to come out that, you know, they're going to be able to somehow be able to gain this money back? But at that same aspect, like if if you're making and uh, I told your screener, like so, me and my wife rent and. Collectively, I mean, roughly a hundred and we'll say we'll say one seventy a year between us both salary, and we've never had an issue not paying. We, we yeah. in fact, that didn't even cross my mind that we would not be paying. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it. Well, it no, just but baffles you get, me that that people can. Brian, no, thanks for calling. Right again, and to to, to your point. The, the income limits on this, you could have made, you and your wife could have made up to, I think it was 198, might have been 199. And as long as you just certified, hey, I've been adversely affected financially during the pandemic. Okay, maybe your hours were cut a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you had to take a 10% cut in pay or, or whatever. But as long as you just certified that you'd been adversely affected, you could make up to $198,000 and you could still qualify to not have to pay your rent. It's just, it, it's been crazy. If they had wanted to target this for 
the very low income people. All right, maybe you could make a, made a stronger argument for it, although I still think it's an illegal government taking. But, but that, this was this kind of like broad brush type of thing. And to your other point about, you know, what's the land, what are the landlords who are adversely affected going to do? Well, that's a very good question, I, including my guess is, you know, at the end of the day, when a landlord sits there and says, all right, I lost, I don't know, I, I lost over the last year, a hundred fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars in uncollected rent that I'm never going to get back. So, what do you think they're going to do? Well, I think one of the things is they're going to raise everybody's rent to try to make up some of that loss, right? That's the way they're going to have to share it. Now, there is some rental assistance that's floating around, and our first caller made a great point. It's been appalling that 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 money hasn't been able to be distributed over the course of a year. But that still doesn't mean that you can just allow people to stay in other people's places without paying rent month after month after month after month after month. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, do you believe there will be a run of, on foreclosures of rental units? And if so, will this potentially be a variation of the 27, uh, 2007, 2008 debacle? Um, I, I, I don't see how there can't at, at some point in time. I mean, you, you have, look, I, I understand that some, some big landlords are, are, are owned by large, large companies that own thousands and thousands of apartment complexes, and, and maybe they're able to to spread the loss out over the course of, of all the apartments they own. But I mean, I just just imagine a, I mean, imagine somebody who again is is, is invested in a. A duplex, and maybe they're living in the the lower flat, and they're using the revenue from the the duplex from the tenant to pay for to help pay for the mortgage. I, you know, all right, and all of a sudden that's gone for a year. It would seem to me that it's going to be inevitable. It's going to have a financial consequence. I think it's going to hit the the small landlords really, really hard. And whether it's a, and I'm talking about the people that own the four families or the eight families or things like that, whether it leads to a, a run on foreclosures or alternatively, whether it, it just has them, you know, looking to get out from under and, and just selling to just get out, I, I think there is going to be a huge effect. Fact, I think that's going to be one of the real estate stories of the next year or two. We, we won't know un- until it actually happens, but I wouldn't be surprised. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, let me be even a little more direct in this assessment of this ivermectin stuff. All right, I have a dog, right? Sasha, six pounds. And for, for heartworm, she does not have heartworm disease, but as a preventive, every year... She is prescribed this stuff called Heart Guard, and you give it to her. It's like uh, it's six months, so I think you start you start like in April or May, June, July, August, September, October. By November, you're done. So it's six months supply, and and these are these like chewable little things. She actually she loves them. It's ivermectin, and it's you you give it to dogs to prevent heartworm disease and to um, treat and control hookworm infections in dogs, all right? You need, you, you can't buy this stuff over the counter. You need, the stuff I give to Sasha has to be ordered by a licensed veter- veterinarian, all right? That's the deal. All right, in what alternative universe am I going to take one of her heartworm pills and decide that I'm going to eat it as a preventive for COVID? I'm, I'm sorry, it's just, it, it's it's not going to happen. And I know some people are saying, well, if you go to your doctor, they'll, they'll give you the prescription for this. And like I say, I, I understand in very, very limited doses, it, it, it 
Again, if you have heartworm, they'll give you kind of an adult variation of this. But that's not what people are doing. People are going to the feed stores in Fort Worth, Texas, and they're 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 buying the stuff in the quantities that you give it to cows and horses. Sorry, not going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not. Uh, again, if if you if you are unclear and you don't trust the FDA and the CDC and on, on, on vaccines, well, that's a conversation for a different day. But for goodness sakes, you know, you're, you're eating your dog's medicine. I don't think so. All right. As long as we are talking about um, the CDC and recommendations, one of my points has been that I, I appreciate that science changes. I, I do. And that recommendations have to, to change accordingly. I think the scientific community in general and, and places like the CDC in particular have hurt themselves by what I think have been knee-jerk reactions to things. I mean, three weeks ago, they come out with a statement that says, okay, no no, no need to have a booster shot. And then a week later, oh, we've changed our mind. There's a need to have a booster shot without being transparent and without having like a huge number of studies. It's just like, well, we've got this one study that thinks you should have a booster, so we're going to do it. Same thing true with the mask rules and stuff. I, I think the, the, the rapid rate that they have changed advice it's tough to support, and it might, it might be the right thing, but it's tough to make the argument that this is supported by science, because normally with science, there's a consensus of stuff, not just, oh, we, we've got the, this new study that was done in Massachusetts that now says this is what you have to do. And then a week later, there's something different that comes to a different view. I, I think by, by having these knee-jerk reactions, they've, they've done a, a disservice because it is, it is fostered this idea that it's really not science. It's just we're kind of going with whatever the, the trend is. And again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who's gotten vaccinated. Well, now the latest thing is the, the statements are coming out saying, all right, people who have been vaccinated should get a COVID booster. Now, the first thing we heard was those COVID boosters should be, be administered probably like eight months after you've had your, your second vaccine, if you got Pfizer, all right? So first it was eight months. Then a couple days later, um, it now has changed. It's gone from eight months, Wall Street Journal reporting yesterday, that now they've changed it to six months. U.S. regulators will likely approve a COVID-19 booster shot for vaccinated people 18 years and older, starting six months after the previous dose. And, and they say, you know, if you if you do this, it, it might in, in enhance your your ability to fight off COVID. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I'm a guy who got the vaccine as quickly as I could. As soon as I was eligible, I, I was there, got the shots, had no adverse reaction, haven't looked back. So I'm also a guy who gets the flu shot every year. And even though. Well, there was a year, a couple years back, that even though I had the flu shot, I did get the flu. But but it was mild compared to, I don't know, other times that I've gotten the flu years and years ago, and, and I hadn't had the flu shot. So I'm a believer in that. I don't have an adverse reaction to these vaccines in general. I'm very, very tolerant of it. That's been my history. And so I have no trouble getting the flu shot. I have no trouble getting, I have no trouble getting the COVID vaccine. And... And I guess it is my intention, unless my doctor tells me otherwise, and I doubt he will, it is my intention to get the COVID booster when, when my time comes up, when that, whether, whether it's six months or eight months, I'm going to get the COVID booster. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But I admit that there's been a lot of confusion about this. No, people don't need it. Oh, then you need it eight months. Then you need it six months. 
All right, so here is my question. This is addressed to those of you who are vaccinated. All right? Are you going to get this booster shot? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When your time comes, are you going to get the booster shot? My answer is I, I am, but I'm curious about you. Stick around. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Bar- Barb in Plymouth. Hi, Barb. Hi, Button. Hi, this is Barb. Hi, Barb. You're going to get a COVID vaccine. You're going to get the booster when it comes due. Yeah, I'm thinking I might. I I work in an elementary school as a special education aide and and work one-on-one with kids that either are, are autistic or have emotional um issues and or challenges and they are in my personal space and I'm in their personal space and so I want to protect them as well as myself. So I probably will. I'm I was one of the first ones in the school district to get Mm-hmm. the shot originally because of the population I work with. Did you have an adverse reaction? I didn't. The yeah. second the second dose I think I had a you know like kind of a headache, but yeah. that was about it. So I felt pretty blessed with that. Well, yeah, see and, and look and, and I understand people have had reactions. I, I, I didn't either. I, and I just, I, I rarely, you know, when I, I get, like I say, I get the flu shot every year. And, I, you know, every once in a while, like a week afterwards, like they say, you get a little bit of a, a tiny fever or something like that. But I've never had any significant adverse reaction. And it's clearly the flu shot to me is preferable to getting the flu. And I get that every year. And I guess this, I had no reaction as well. I guess if if my doctor says, Jeff, I think you, you should do it, you know, I, I would have no hesitation in doing it, I guess. And then somebody was saying to me, Barb, well, you know, what what if they say you need another one a year after that? And I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll get one a year after that. I, I just, it's, to, to me, it's just kind of a way of life, I guess. And unless until you start to see really adverse stuff, I, I guess I don't see why not if it if it helps you not get COVID. I would think, you know, I mean, I think we all thought that this was going to be like kind of a one-time thing, but right. yet it makes sense that, you know, we get a flu shot in every year or if you have to get a shingle shot type of thing. You know, there's there's some things that you have to get yeah. more than once. You have to get boosters, and, and this is probably going to be something that keeps changing and and. New things will have to. Yeah, no, th- right. Th- thanks. No, I, I, I agree with you. And, 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 and you see, part of the problem, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with, with the CDC kind of changing the recommendation. No, you don't need boosters. Now you need eight months, six months. It, it does, it, it does make people wonder, okay, is this the gang that couldn't shoot straight? And, you know, what, what about, you know, what about the efficacy of the vaccination in, in the first place? And, and there are breakthrough cases. I was talking to a doctor yesterday who said, you know, locally they, they'd estimate about 10% of the COVID cases they're seeing are, are breakthrough, which is higher than that number was. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'm of this position that I, I don't want to be in that breakthrough thing, but to me, it, it makes sense. First of all, I know, and I always hear about this when I go down this route, people saying, well, you know, what, what about antibodies? Well, I, I, I appreciate that that gives you some immunity as well. I, like I said, I had COVID last November. I, I, I tested. I knew I had antibodies, but it didn't stop me from getting the vaccines because I thought that enhanced it. And candidly, if, if, if the booster is available and that enhances it more and makes it less likely that I'm going to get sick again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, 855-616-1620. Uh, Brian in Germantown. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how are you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? 
Um, I got my shots, and, uh, you know, back in March, April, be happy to do it again. You know, it's part of life. It It's easy peace of mind at the end of the day. I mean, free. I mean, just not a big deal. Just not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, thanks. I guess that, that to me, it's not. Now, we, you know... Again, I, I understand because we have this discussion every year when it comes around to the topics of, of flu shots, and there's a lot of people who, you know, don't believe in them, et cetera, and choose not to get them. And I, as I, I do, so it's it's like okay, I that that's fine. I I respect that. At some point in time, though, when you get the flu, you have to understand that you you know you you run the risk of being sicker than those of us who who did in fact get the shot. But that's a risk that you take. I I understand that that way of thinking. I'm just saying. For, for me, at least, the, the COVID booster, I keep talking to my doctor. Now, if your doctor tells you, you know, you don't need the booster or I don't think the booster is a good idea and you trust your doctor, well, I, I think that's that that's all well and good. But as a general rule, you know, absent that, you know, the, the medical professionals that I talked to said, get the shot, Jeff. No reason not to. Jeff, get the get the booster. It'll it will be it will be good for you. In the long run, period. Um, Jeff, I take my medical advice from the medical community. Well, I think that's kind of the way to do this. So uh, you're going to have to decide that for yourself, you know, no question about it. But it's going to be another one of these battles. I just hope that by the CDC not being clear on its earlier recommendations with regard to boosters, that they haven't again, discourage people from getting the vaccine in the first place. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I had kind of taken a, a little bit of a break from social media for the last month or so, just for a variety of reasons. But I, I kind of I got back on the train. Wednesday night, I was at the uh, ball game. I was at Miller Park, and I uh, sitting in the, the seats I have, and I, I kind of looked over, and there was... There was my first producer, young Dan Walsh. Oh, really? Oh, was, that's nice. He, he was there with his now 12-year-old daughter. But, I mean, Dan worked with me for seven years, from like 1998 to 2005. And he was just sitting there and, you know, with, with his daughter and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we've we've stayed in touch and stuff. And he's he's a wonderful guy. And um, so I, I said, oh, we got to put a picture up there because there's there's people who've been listening to me for the 20-some years I've been here at TMJ. And they, they will remember, you know, the stories I would tell about my first producer, young Dan Walsh. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very glad to see that working with me for seven years left no visible scars. <laughs> you know, I don't know about the psychological right. scars or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I put a picture up there and then okay got got a reaction to it and then see this is something you can relate to Mm -hmm. so last night all right last night it was my friend dale's birthday um actually his birthday was monday but we we got together there's three couples and we went out um we went whole hog we went out to the big boy in germantown oh my gosh I, i saw that photo on your twitter and i i did like it at Jeff Wagner, six twenty. It, it yeah. looks very, very cool. I knew that deep down you were living your best life at that moment. Well, it, it was so we <laughs> with we, you and Fran. Well, so we, we we got there, and this is the new Big Boy restaurant. It opened in July in Germantown, and so we we, we go in, and um, we had actually made reservations, and so we had a had a nice table, and it's it's just like. The, the big boy I remember that was my, my posting said hey it's 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 like 1978 except they serve beer I mean the the menu is 
remarkably the same. The burger, I had the the double big boy thing. It, it tasted exactly like I remember so it, it tasted. Didn't disappoint. It did not no. disappoint. No, again, it's it, it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a big boy sandwich. I mean, we're not talking about like the finest, but it was it was exactly like I remembered it. Um, and and that was the general reaction of of all the people we were with. You know, like three or four people got the hamburgers and stuff, and I got the double hamburger. And did I mention they serve beer? So we you know we we, we just had a great time. And of course, you go into the restaurant and they've got all these big boy tchotchkes all over. Yes. There's this there's this giant big boy statue with him wearing a Packer jersey, number 21, which was Woodson's jersey. But I mean, it, and then next door, there, there's a beer garden that's been there for a while. And they had a band playing last night and they've got more big boy stuff. So um, yes, yeah, so it's, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But there's a picture of Fran and I posing next to Big boy, big boy, big boy wearing a <laughs> like a <laughs> wearing like the the blue outfit, the, the blue outfit, and yeah, stuff. yeah. And it's the big boy's got oh, the big well, eyes and stuff. It was fun. I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you finally got out there. I still have not had a big boy sandwich, so that will have to be something that you have never. I've wait, never had a big boy sandwich. You've never mm. had big boy. No, uh-uh. huh? Boy, yeah. I mean. That you were deprived. Did they have them where you grew up in Iowa? No, Did they have big boy. Okay. I don't think so. I don't remember any big boys. Right, and this this place is all nostalgia because when you sit down, they've got all these TV screens. I thought they're going to have sports. I didn't have sports on. They show like old big boy commercials. They've got like like a big boy training thing from the fifties about how to be a car hop because mm-hmm. a lot of the big boys had like the car hop things. And then they've got these different ads. One features Joan Rivers from nineteen seventy eight. But they've got all these different ads. Yeah. The only thing I remember is uh, McDonald's. McDonald's playground that had the Hamburglar right. and Ronald McDonald, but that was really the only right. hamburger place that I remember that had like cool things like that. Oh, oh no, this is and, and there's there's all these like I say different tchotchkes and stuff that are open. And I was actually I was talking to the lady who was the manager, and, and again their their big problem they they would like to be open more because big boys used to be open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and stuff. They, they're not open for breakfast. They, they can't find help. That you know they're yes, the, the, a lot of places are dealing with our that. waitress was just mm-hmm. the, was just the delight. But I mean it was and and actually we didn't have to wait too long for the food and stuff but it was it was it was a blast from the past i've told this story before and it was i i went in with low expectations because when i was a kid growing up around here did you you know what a barnaby's restaurant is no i've heard of it i I didn't know what it was well when i was in high school barnaby's was this chain of sort of pizza places you could get other stuff but there was one on port washington road in glendale right down the street from where cops is now and if you went to nicolay high school in the 70s it was the place that you went and hang hung out mm-hmm. and it was a pizza place and you'd walk in and the they had like narrow booths and stuff and you'd order the pizzas and then they'd, they'd call you up and you get so i have really great memories about barnaby's well most of the barnaby's closed to my knowledge there's two barnaby's left both are in illinois and one i've told the story before so bear with me if you've heard it one um, was in right by the Arlington racetrack, the Arlington Park racetrack, the horse track. So a few years ago, my brother and I take his kids, my niece and nephew, we take them. It was like Father's Day or something like that. We, we take them to the track. Mm-hmm. They like, you know, just a fun, fun day of betting and stuff. And then we're going to take them to Barnaby's afterwards. And and we're telling them, this is the place we hung out with. And this <laughs> is all this great stuff. So we drive to the place. We find the Barnaby's. We walk in. And I swear, it was like 1975 all over again. This this Barnaby's restaurant looked like it was just like a piece out of time because the, the booths were the, the same. It was the same setup. It looked like it had not been changed. It was like 
walking into my past and go, wow, that's cool. Now, the one thing I noticed is the booths seemed a lot more narrow than, <laughs> than they were when I was in high school and stuff. But we order the pitchers of soda and the beer and all this stuff, and we get it. And huh, objectively speaking, I think the food, I think it was the same but it sucked. <laughs> you know, you, I mean, you had more uh, tasting I, 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 I don't experiences know. as an adult. I, I don't know, so. the, the kids are looking at us going, Uncle Jeff, Dad, oh, no. this is what you've been telling us about <laughs> for all this time. Yeah. And and it was and they're like, eh, this, you know, and it was it was just and, and I but I keep thinking it, it was it was probably the same. Yeah. I just think my tastes have evolved. So I was really prepared to be disappointed when I went to this big boy last mm-hmm. night because I kept thinking, I hope this isn't Barnaby's all over again. And it wasn't. It was just like good. I remembered it. Oh, it's good. So. That's nice when it, you know, when something you remember as a child being so great and you try it as an adult and it still doesn't disappoint. Well, right. And yeah. don't get me wrong. It's big boy. I mean, it's, so again, it's, it's not right. like people are going to walk in and say, oh, this is the finest burger I've had. But it's, it's big boy. You know, right. and if you remember that, it was pretty darn good. Well, it's funny because I think Pizza Hut, where we were at, that was kind of a big deal. Yeah, like Pizza right. Hut. Pizza but, Hut was big. You know, I mean, obviously we have our tastes have changed and you try pizza hut again and you're like hmm uh, well, <laughs> it's still okay well, but it, yeah it was like i said it was just so funny because the the kids who had been hearing scott and i my brother talk about this for for years oh we're, we're going to barnaby and we're we're legitimately excited yeah. so we built up all this excitement and then they're just kind of looking at us like Huh. They probably like, oh, this is great. No, no, you don't understand. No, no. My niece and nephew, oh, no, it was like, no, it's like, you guys, what's going on? They weren't on holding here? back. No, 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 no. They, they weren't, they, they weren't sparing our feelings at all. They're just kind of like, this is well, what you're talking. Well, one out of two is not bad. Well, so. exactly. So that's, um, but yeah. So I, I finally made it there. And if you want to, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. It's the lovely Fran and I standing next to the big boy in blue out in Germantown. We had a good time with that. That's a nice photo. Okay. When we come back, all right, it's the second thing I did this week that inadvertently hacked off some of you. We'll visit this and discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. Um, yesterday, we had an abbreviated show, and I, I made mention of the fact that I was at the baseball game. I have a 20-pack of season tickets, and, and, and generally speaking, that they spread them out. But for some reason, this year, I, I had tickets to the game on Tuesday night and the game on Wednesday night. You almost never go back-to-back, but it went back-to-back. And it was this was – it was a – it was a. These were big games. The, the Brewers are having a special, special season. They're the most wins a Brewers team has ever had, ever in the whole history of the Brewers is ninety six wins, and they they did that in two thousand eleven and two thousand eighteen. I think there's a very, very good chance that this team will have more than ninety six wins and a hundred wins by any Major League Baseball standard. It is just a great, great year, and I think there's a decent chance that this Brewers team could could rack up 100 wins. But regardless, this was a big week because the the Cincinnati Reds, which were number two in their division, came came to town. Cincinnati at the time, on Tuesday night, were seven and a half games behind. Now, that's a long way behind. But if Cincinnati had come in and won Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, that the lead's down to like like four and a half games, and then, you know, you've got a race. So these were big games, right, important games. And the Brewers, they won 
won on Tuesday night. It was a great come-from-behind win, and they won on Wednesday as well, and I was really glad to, to be there to see both games. One of the things that struck me, though, was, was the attendance. Tuesday and Wednesday night, they had about 24,000 people there. And I thought, huh, you know, in, in years past, for important games for a winning team, you know, in years past, this game would have drawn 35,000 or 40,000. And instead, they, they drew 24. Now, the Brewers are doing okay attendance-wise. I think they're 10th overall in, in the major leagues. But this, which for the size market, is great. And and this is a great team. I'm telling you, this is – I've been a baseball fan. I've been a Brewers fan since the Brewers came to Milwaukee. And I, I think this might be one of the best teams ever. And I, I mean that. I think they've got the potential. I don't know if they're going to win the World Series. But they've got the potential to do really, really well and cause some damage. It's a fun team. It's great players. So I, I really enjoy it. And I was looking around, and and when I was driving home on Wednesday night, the first caller to Jeff Pauley's Brewers Extra Inning said, man, I was at the game, and I just couldn't believe you know, how quiet the crowd was and how comparatively few people there were, were there. And it was exactly the same thing that my buddy and, and I had been thinking. And and of course, the you know the analyst said, well, there's a couple things going on. You've got, um, you know, it, it was hot. And, and yes, it, it was very, very hot. There's, there's no question about that. It was hot. And I thought, I, I don't know. I mean, I can remember people going to hot baseball games. So I mentioned that. And I, I, I said, you know, I just I think I hope people hope people recognize what a great baseball team this is. And there's plenty of room for the bandwagon to get on and go out to see the ball games. And I got a lot of texts from people saying, well, no, Jeff, you don't you don't understand. I mean, there's it costs too much money to go to baseball games. And we're Brewers fans. We don't go because it costs that much. And to which my response was, well, yeah, but it, I don't know that it costs any more this year really to go than it would have cost like last year or two years ago or three years ago. So, I, I mean, is it is it cost? Um, was it because it's hot? Is it because COVID, you know, people still don't want to, at least some people don't want to go out. And they don't have mask rules, you know, at Miller Park. You can you can sit there. You know, it's it's not like you have to wear the masks. You don't have to show a vaccination, Miller Park, American Family Field. You don't have to show a vaccination card to get into the stadium. So it, it, it's not that. And and yet they had 24,000 people on a, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night for one of the best teams and most exciting teams in baseball. Okay, our number eight is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What, I'm curious, what do you think is, is going on? Is, is it cost? Is it the fact that it was hot? Is it the fact that, okay, these, this is an aberration, it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday night game? But I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed in, in the crowd. I thought, given the magnitude and the importance of the games and how well this team is playing and what a fun team it is to watch, in a normal time, I would have thought they would have had at least 10,000 more people there. Part of the thing I, I know is that a lot of times numbers are built up by group sales. And, and this year, of course, they just didn't have the same time to do group sales because they didn't know what the season was going to look like. And you had the whole deal where in the beginning it was just, you know, only part of the stadium was open. So this was a weird year for group sales, which is part of the number. But why – if you, if you don't agree with my premise that you know twenty four thousand people was was a light crowd, I'm willing to talk about that as well. But if you do agree with my premise, what what what's going on? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Because I tell you, it's a great product. We discuss in a minute. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Tom in Richfield. Tom, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I was telling the, the screener that. 
you will have to realize that State Fair Park just, State Fair just ended. Right. Okay? And there's a lot of stuff going around the city. There's only so much discretionary income out there for people that are working people, and a lot of people are out of work. And I was at both games being a season ticket holder. I told him it's at 79, full season ticket holder. Right. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of people there, but I think the Cincinnati Reds would kill to have 12,000. 25,000 people in their stand. <laughs> well, yeah, like I say, they're, they're 10th overall. Well, But let me ask you this, Tom. Two year, yeah. you know, I appreciate what you're saying about State Fair and stuff, but State Fair occurs every year. Do you think two years ago, let, let, let's say this was 2019, not 2021, do you think Cincinnati, and it, under these same circumstances, do you think they would have drawn 24,000, or would they have drawn more? Well, I, I personally think that if we weren't nine and a half games up at the beginning or eight and a half, if it was one and a half or two and a half games, there would have been a lot more interest. Okay. I think the fans around town are pretty comfortable with this lead feeling that we're okay. gonna we're gonna win this division, okay? And that's what another reason. It was unbelievably hot. It was hot. Was there. Yeah, there's no it question. Was hot. And a lot of no. And school started in Milwaukee. Yeah. No, thanks. For, okay, I want to get a couple more cards. Right. It, 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 there was no question it was hot. I, I certainly uh, grant that. Let's talk to Linda in Menominee Falls. Linda, you're in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Linda. I really don't think it's cost. Um, there's a lot of affordable seating. We personally go to about 15 games a year. Wish I could get to more. Our favorite spot in the stadium, we sit in Section 423. We're right behind home plate. We can see the outfield, both corners, and often those seats are six bucks. Yeah. So I think you may have hit it on the head with the group sales. I don't think other things around town really affect it because I think Brewer fans are Brewer fans. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I just, I'm, and, and I mean, I, I hear the, the things. Okay, it was hot, and it, I concede it, it, it was hot. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure that there's some people who are still reluctant to go out in groups among around COVID, but I, I, I just, I don't know how many of those folks there are. You, you do have the cost thing, but at the same time, that, that's always been. I don't know if it costs more now. You know, a couple things, Linda. People are saying is there's some folks that, that, that don't like the, the e-tickets and they don't like the, the cashless thing. And I, I'll be the first to tell you, I think that's kind of a pain in the rump. But I, I you get over it. I mean, it's, it's not going to stop me from the, the fact that I, I don't get the hard tickets anymore. I get them on my ballpark app. Is it going to stop me from going to the ball games? You know, I, I want to go to the ball games and support the team. If you walk up to buy your ticket, you receive a paper ticket. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just if you're like a C, if you buy them over the internet and stuff, you get it. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know. And I, I just, I got this huge reaction to people who weren't, who did not agree with me that they were surprised and had all these different explanations for why, you know, there were 24,000. Now, I, I'm told that, you know, the, the sales for Labor Day weekend are a lot greater. And I, 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 I'm just, I'm just here telling you that this is, the Brewers are the real thing this year. And, and if you're not going out to the games because of, of this, that, or the other thing, uh, you, you should. Uh, it, it's 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 great. I mean, it's a fun team to watch, and I've been watching baseball for a long time, and I I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I'm telling you, these are these are good games. They're playing great games. It's fun to be there. Go on out to American Family Field. You don't even have to, if you, even if you call it Miller Park, they're still going to let you in. All right, when we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind. Stick around.